Welcome to The Art of Being a Mum, the podcast where we hear from mothers who are artists and creators, sharing their joys and issues around trying to be a mother and continue to make art. Regular topics include mum guilt, identity, the day-to-day juggle, mental health and how children manifest in their art. My name's Alison Newman. I'm a singer, songwriter and a mum of two boys from regional South Australia. I have a passion for mental wellness and a background in early childhood education. You can find links to my guests and topics they discuss in the show notes, along with music played, a link to follow the podcast on Instagram and how to get in touch. All music used on the podcast is done so with permission. The Art of Being a Mum acknowledges the Bowendick people as the traditional custodians of the land and water which this podcast is recorded on and pays respects to the relationship the traditional owners have with the land and water, as well as acknowledging past, present and emerging elders. Today my guest is Jen Lush. She's a singer, songwriter and passionate performer from Adelaide, South Australia. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you so much for coming on today. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's really good to be on the couch having a yak. I'm obviously quite familiar with you and and your work. Would you give us a bit of a rundown on um, who you are, what you do, what you've done in the past um, for those who might not be familiar with you and your work? Okay. Um, Well, um, I've been practising some form of art, I feel like, probably for most of my life Um, but I started off in dance and theatre that was the degree that I I did at university Um, and then uh, kind of moved into music around about the same time as I was at uni was in my first band before that I'd been um, singing with my dad in his folk band Um, ended up touring with that and playing music all over the place for quite a few years um, and sort of gradually phased out dance and theatre and focus more on music in more in the more recent years. Um, so I kind of do, I suppose, I went from doing electronic and music to um, gradually drifting into more acoustic and folk related stuff that kind of t- sort of ties back into more of the music that I was probably raised listening to. Um, and now I have a band um, that I'm about to release uh, my second studio album with. Um, but prior to that, I've been in various other bands and duos and trios and various manifestations over the last yeah, 20 years or so. Awesome. I would love to um, ask you more about your trip-hop trio that you were in. Can you first of all say the name <laughs> of the band? Because I don't want to say it for case I get it wrong. I know. Well, it's called Savome. It was called Savome. Yeah. Um, a lot of people called it Savome or Savome and weren't really sure. Um, so one of those reasons why you should never call a band name a word that actually doesn't exist in real life because people <laughs> have no idea. It's like some travel, you're in Japan and um, London with your group. Yeah, so we made two albums um, we and a couple of singles and things um, outside of those albums. Um, we, we launched those albums in Adelaide, made them in Adelaide and launched them in Adelaide and then we travelled to, um, by way of Japan I think, we went to live in England at that time and so we lived in, and played in England for um, a few years. Uh, and then, yeah, and then we kind of gradually brought it to a halt. But I think that must have gone on for about maybe 10 years. That was, we were heavily inspired by um, listening a lot to, say, Porter's Head, Massive Attack, um, oh, loads of electronica, you know, Lamb, um, you name it, all the, those 90s electronica, trip hop stuff, and uh, Tricky. Mm-hmm. There were lots. And, um, and so that's kind of where that kind of sprung out of, I suppose. Um, I really love the idea of 
having very minimal musical background to like in terms of the like it was often just a drum sample and um like a, a little bass line really um and i love creating music just to those very simple elements i feel like you know just making up a song around those things that you're handed it's pretty fun mm. um i still do a little bit of that with um some german dance music producers in um uh Frankfurt, I think they are at the moment. I, I did that when I was in England and I'm still doing a little bit of it now. They still call me up and want me to Aww. want me to lay down some some um, ideas. I don't actually perform the, the final cut of the vocals. I get, you know, young, spunky German people to do that. But <laughs> but I still like coming up with the tunes. So yeah, I like like crossing over with different genres. I think I think it's a kind of a cool thing to, you know, I don't really have a favourite genre really. So mm. it's whatever, whatever, whatever comes out at the time. So you were in that band with Tobin Lush. With, mm -hmm. You guys were obviously married at that point. Yeah. Um, so yeah. how did you guys meet? Was it through music that you met initially? No, we, we met when we were pretty young. Um, I was still in school when I met Tobin uh, down at Yankalilla. So his... My parents, um, where I was living at the time, was in Yankalilla and I grew up there and went to school there. Um, his parents live out at Waipinga Beach on a farm out there and they're farmers. Um, and he went to school at Victor and then at Urbray in town. Um, and we crossed paths at the local um, drop-in centre, which was um, run by the Uniting Church Youth Group. Um, and they would have Friday night and Saturday night activities for wayward young people with nothing to do in a place like Yankalilla and Normville where the only thing to do is go and jump off a jetty or um, sit under the jetty or um, walk along the jetty or catch some Tommies off the jetty. Um, no, there wasn't a lot to do in, in Yankalilla for young people um, at that time. And so um, the church were pretty proactive about getting some activities going. So we'd, you know, I'd meet down there with my friends and you know, in between games of table tennis and having a crack on the drum kit, you'd make pancakes or go on an excursion to a local bowling place or something like that. And it was um, at that place that I met Tobin, who was um, helping to run it with taking over from his brother at the time, who was getting some training interstate. And Tobin took over one time and he just wandered in and it was the only person I'd seen in a long time that I didn't know because in a small towns like Yankalilla and Normaville, everybody knows everybody. And I decided quite some time before that that I wasn't going to go out with anyone from my local town. <laughs> Not just because I was an arrogant, um, um, I don't know, aspirational young lady, but also um, that um, I think everyone knows everyone and I'd pretty much decided that, that um, they probably wouldn't like me and I certainly didn't think I'd had any kind of future with anybody at my school and so um yeah he walked in and I thought holy crap who's this I don't know you that's an unusual thing in, in itself and also he was incredibly dashing and um kind of dressed like a bit of a punk with um these ripped up jeans with union jacks sewn up behind and these you know really high high laced up docks and messy hair and stuff and he was working as a farmer on his parents' farm for a bit while he was trying to work out what to do. And um, so we started hanging out. And I think the first thing he said to me was, do you want to come and see my skateboard? <laughs> and so that was it. Man. You were hooked. Yeah. <laughs> I looked at the skateboard and said, that's good. And, <laughs> and I spent a lot of time sitting around in car parks watching him do skating while I sort of sat there with my book and had a read and hung out. Yeah. And then um, he was interested in arts things and I've always, always been interested in arts things. So um, we spent our weekends taking photos of crazy stuff, setting up these weird scenarios and taking photos of them and stuff. He got into photography and then filmmaking um, and fine art. So a lot of painting as well. Mm. Um, whereas I went down the performing arts road that I was already well and truly doing by that stage, um, lots and lots of ballet and, and dance and theatre and stuff. So I, I went down that road and he went down his and we we pretty much got together um, when I was 17. So we've been together a long time. That's awesome. That is so great. So 
you've like you've you've these two worlds came together over the skateboard and then you sort of blossomed with sharing all this art together over a long That's time. It. I thought I was going to be a farmer's wife. I really didn't expect that it was going to end up in this um, in this very much art-driven world that we're both in. So it was a lovely, a lovely thing in the end. So when did you sort of start to think, well, we're going to start a family and did you sort of think then what's going to happen to your music and your art life? Was that sort of a, a conscious sort of thing to, to think, well, how's this going to fit in? Yeah, um, we were in England at the time and... Um, I got pregnant without actually realising I was pregnant, so it wasn't really super planned. It was we had this long view plan that we'd be married for ten years and then get have a, and then start having babies. Um, so it was around about bang on that when we when we did start having babies, but it wasn't because um, it was through any great planning. Um, it was really just that um, I had. Um, well, there's a long health kind of um, scenario, but I, I was diagnosed with um, polycystic ovaries um, some time before this, so maybe six years or five years before I was pregnant. And so I was told that I probably wouldn't find it easy to be pregnant. So I wasn't on any kind of contraception anyway, hadn't been getting periods or anything like that. And then um, I decided to, because I didn't really want to go down the road of fertility treatment eventually or anything, I thought I'd do some research and through my own, you know, layman's um, slightly ignorant researching tactics, I um, found that you could, by going on a diabetic diet, a diet that's specifically um, important for people with diabetes, um, is a similar um, chemistry thing that's going on with insulin and hormones and stuff and so I went on this um I took I put myself on this very strict kind of um low GI diet thing and um and adhered to that for two years and then my periods started all by themselves and and everything seemed to be clockwork and I reckon it was by the second period I got pregnant so um all by myself so it was it was nice to to um try and remedy some of those things going on in my body um, without real medical intervention just by trying to change what my habits were around food and stuff so that was good um so long story short i was pregnant and not realizing it my first <laughs> I, I thought i was just sick i just thought i was had the flu and was constantly throwing up and i thought i've just got some kind of food poisoning first and then I thought I had the flu and then my boobs were getting kind of bigger and I was like this is weird um and I took a pregnancy test and um and it came out positive and I was at least 10 weeks pregnant by then so by the time I had my first scan I was 15 weeks pregnant oh, wow. I'd already passed my first trimester without even realizing it. <laughs> oh look out if you just breeze through it no worries at all <laughs> yeah and so and during that time I was heavily involved in a theater working in theater and music um, I was doing some music stuff um, as an acoustic duo um, in England with another guy um, and also some um, more electronica music stuff as well um, I don't think we were doing Savome anymore by that stage um, and I was doing a lot of theater work with local theater people and involved in shows and things like that um, and I thought that in my in my wisdom that nothing much would change once I'd had a baby. I thought I'll just have the baby and then he or she will, will be backstage with me while I do this show that I was committed to doing and I'll just feed in between scenes or inter interval or before and after the show. And then I jump back on, I had this, I really did have this as, a, as, a, as an idea. And no one seemed to tell me any any otherwise because no one else I knew was had had babies really. I, I wasn't around a lot of people that had children at that time. Um, I even had agents who were um, gearing up for me to be cast in roles that needed uh, a mother with a, a brand new newborn baby. So scenes in, in TV and stuff like that that I was doing little bits of. So I was ready with agents, you know, at my beck and call, ready for whenever I was ready to, to show up and do some baby and mummy kind of um, things on TV. So it was with a great big shock to me 
to my system when that went completely ass up. Yeah. Yeah. And all of my expectations for for myself and my art and my work were um, utterly changed the minute he was born. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you have him in, you were in the UK when you had him or were you back in Australia? Yeah, so I was in the UK and he was born at St Mary's Hospital, this is Orlando, who's now 16. So um, 16 years ago, um, I went into labour, but um, uh, much like all the women in my my family, my sister and my mum, um, turns out that we're not able to deliver babies um, vaginally, it, it needs to be a caesarean or nothing. Um, there is no option. They need to be less than five pounds in size if, if, we're, if we're going to do that. It's something to do with our anatomy. We're all the same. Um, but unfortunately, um, they like you to go through the process of labour first, just so you can be sure that that's the case. Um, and Orlando was stuck um, and I was in pretty a dire situation where um, I nearly didn't make it and neither did he. Um, and it was an emergency and it was a, it was a mess. It was a complete disaster to the point where uh, he um, was diagnosed at six months with cerebral palsy, right hemiplegia, cere cerebral palsy, and, um, and was not in an excellent way for quite a while, the first, year of his life he was very ill a lot of the time and we came home by the time he was three months old yeah back to australia so we've been here since so that was a, a really different different way into motherhood than probably what i was hoping for <laughs> um what i expected um and certainly those agents that were calling me soon after he'd been born were given short shrift and there was no longer going to be any swanning into any kind of TV studios with my newborn. <laughs> yeah. Goodness say so yeah, you didn't it wasn't just the, the change of life for you immediately in terms of your your art and your work, but also the 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 challenges involved with Orlando with the with the issues you were faced with him. So it was this double whammy that you got. Yeah, it was it was terrifying. Um, never before have I, and never since have I been through anything, um, that traumatic, um, and certainly for him going through it himself, um, he was a baby experiencing trauma as well, because that was a very traumatic way for him to start with seizures and with a range of medical things going on when he was first born. I don't think he was breathing when he was born either. So um, there were all kinds of weird things going on in that hospital that night. I remember John Howard had just been re-elected and um, watching that on the screen. And I, I was in this ward with all of these other women who had just had babies and everyone had their babies and I didn't. He was in intensive care. And I didn't know at that stage what was wrong. I thought they were going to bring him back down to me in the night because it was very early days. So I'm watching John Howard get re-elected and he wasn't my first choice for, um, for re-election. So I was thinking that's a bit crap. And, um, and then um, about, I don't know, two in the morning, maybe a, a nurse came down and said, I'm really sorry, but we're not going to be able to bring your baby down. He's had a seizure and, um, and he won't be joining you right now. Um, and it was brutal. It was actually brutal the way that I was told that. And I couldn't move because I'd had a cesarean and I was unable to actually get out of bed. It was when you've had a cesarean that's an emergency you might have been through this but um it's it's no joke is it mm. and you can't move your body is bruised and battered and it's um takes quite some time to heal um so i couldn't yeah and that was before the time of me having mobile phone or anything like that so i couldn't contact tobin i couldn't you know i was just stuck in this room and my baby's like three floors above and i just thought oh this is the pits so um it took about I reckon 10 minutes for me to manoeuvre myself gradually to um, get um, some help um, in the morning and get a message to Tobin. So um, it, it was just a, a really weird start to motherhood actually. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I can understand you came back to Australia, you would have had a lot more support here, your family's here. Yeah. Um, which obviously you needed around you at that time. Yeah, so we did. We came back, Tobin's work finished. Our house that we were leasing was over the lease and um, Orlando was born and not well. So, yeah, all the pointers were saying, go home, go back to Adelaide and where all the family was. And um, and that was the best thing we ever did. It was uh, a wonderful decision, but at the time it felt um, really hard because we had made a life for five years in London and it was a really... Uh, a strange thing to do to be unemployed and to be drifting and a, a bit ankylous but um but of course with all the support that we needed here um, as new parents so that was good and um Lando needed to have the services and it has needed the services that Adelaide can offer um and he's he's been very well looked after by by um Novita Children's Services and a range of other therapies that 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 are here and that certainly wouldn't have been um, able to be accessed in London. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a good decision. But it did change everything in terms of art for me. I um, I stopped everything. I did actually try at one point, I vaguely remember contacting a, an agent here to try and maybe do some part-time bits and pieces, um, which was a folly. It was a folly of an idea. There was no way that I was going to be able to rock up to a casting at 6 in the morning or even a shoot at 6 in the morning um, after dropping my child at childcare with people who wouldn't know what to do around his specific needs at that time. Um, none of that was possible anymore. And in the end, I didn't want it anyway. I, I needed to be at home and my my job became being a, a therapist for um, at least the next um, full-time, at least the next five years, you know, it was spent doing that. Yeah, right. So throughout this time, um... Did you find that you you got the support that you needed yourself? Like you talked about Orlando having the support with the different services. Did you mm. did you find that you were supported in all the ways that you needed to be? That's a good question, Alison. I I have to admit that um, probably not. So fortunately, you know, I'd had ten years of relationship with Tobin that um, was solid and uh, and if that hadn't been the case I think we would have been in a bit of trouble I reckon that that part of it saved me um, and the family around us was also vitally important at that time um, I've got a sister and a brother and Tobin's got a brother here too so it was very much a family um, thing but um, there was a lot of grief going on at the time and I think that psychologically I probably could have done with some um, outside help. I, now if that had happened, I think I'd be calling up the, the, the closest counsellor and getting... Because I've since had counselling and found it to be incredibly useful for other things, you know. Um, at that time, for some reason, it just wasn't um, uh, something that came up. I remember having a massage, though, back in England before we even made it back here. I had a massage with a friend who was a therapist and she um, said, I think, you're, I think you need to have a massage, Jen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get stuck in. So lie down on the bed and get going. And so she started and, and this is probably one of the single most revealing things to me about where I was at at the time and probably where I was still at for quite a while. She started to uh, massage me and um, there's something about trauma being sort of locked in the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a visceral, physical thing. It's not just a heart thing or a head thing or whatever. And this became really clear to me. She started massaging me and I um, started to feel nauseous. I thought I was going to vomit through the hole that my face was in, you know. Yep. I thought, I thought, oh, I'm in danger of being sick. I'm going to be sick. And I started to sort of shake and I thought, no, I can't be here anymore. I can't be here. And I started to have a bit of a panic um, because I think she was starting to kind of get into some spaces um, and unlock some things. And and I said, I've got to go. I've got to go. And I could feel it all kind of building up behind my eyes and my head, this force that I didn't know what was going to happen. And she said, okay. And I just ran off and I ran into the bathroom 
and I fell on the floor and I'm not one for sitting on floors of bathrooms even the cleanest and it was a clean bathroom but it's not really my my game um, <laughs> but I, I remember falling on the ground and I remember the noise that came out of me was like an animal and it was kind of like a uh, like a, a scream roar thing and I wanted to be quiet because I didn't want to hurt it you know here and the household to be disturbed where I was but um yeah out it came this great great big noise um yeah and so I think you know there's a lot of grief you know that I've I've since read lots of things about this and I remember one at the time reading when Orlando was about one and um and reading this thing about the analogy of somebody going on a plane to go on a holiday and you pack and you prepare and you get organized and you know where you're going and you're excited you look forward to the food that you're going to try and you think about the weather that you're going to get there and you maybe you've booked a beautiful place to stay and there might be a pool and you know and you're planning all of these lovely experiences and then halfway through the trip um the pilot says i'm sorry but we're actually going to be landing in somewhere else maybe you know Uzbekistan or something like this where you've never been and it certainly wasn't what you were planning on and you land and everyone's in shock and they're saying when are we going to leave when are we going to leave and you know we should be able to make a next flight out of here you know but then they say no I'm afraid this is this is actually where you are and you need to look around and find somewhere to eat and find some accommodation and, and get sorted and you know the analogy is clear you know you you end up in another country that's what it was like and you think this is not what i it's not what i planned and it's not what i wanted and it's um it's scary and it's strange and i don't i don't know the language yeah. and i was without, i was without all the resources i hadn't had anything to do with disability before this happened and i was terrified of it um what it did do you know inevitably is that once you look around the country and you actually start meeting some amazing people and you think gosh these people are incredible and this has been here all along and you know why didn't i think of coming here before and the food's not so bad and you know um and that's exactly what happened um the community of people in the disability sector um are incredible and I met many other children who are going through far more than Orlando, who's actually got quite a mild um, disability with his CP. And um, I have enormous respect and compassion and um, joy when I'm around those people. And I, I didn't believe that I would ever um, experience such an incredible level of um, of admiration and love for um, this world that I'm in now and we have been for a long time and yeah I wouldn't actually want it to be any different I would like it to be different for him because he experiences hardship but I I for myself um, I'm a very different person and the person that I was where I was up to my eyeballs in my own performing singing dancing world of 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 um, what can be a very consuming and very um, narcissistic environment um, sometimes in the performing arts um, changed everything it changed everything yeah you can't be the same person yeah absolutely that's so profound um Thank you for being so honest and sharing that so so eloquently, Jen. That's an incredible That's period of your life. As the years sort of went on, did you find yourself then perhaps thinking about maybe returning to performing or did you even um, start writing or journaling or anything um, to even to help cope with things? I don't know. Did you return mm -hmm. to, your, to your art and your music? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And the only thing that kind of was able to be like that held on, I suppose, throughout all of that stuff was music because I was able to write um, words in the evening or at night. I was able to, um, by the time Orlando was about one and a half, I was probably meeting up with a friend who had recorded some of the earlier Savome stuff as, a, as an engineer. I knew he played guitar and I had really lost a lot of contacts in this town as far as music goes. And so I just called him up and said, do you want to jam on some of the stuff I'm writing? I've been, I've been writing. Um, 
So I did. So probably once a week or once a fortnight, I'd, I'd do just go around to his house and we'd muck around on some songs. It eventually became the band um, Cat Dog Bird, which I was doing for 10 years, um, really, um, from beginning to end. It was about 10 years where we were pretty regularly rehearsing and performing at um, various venues and festivals around South Australia. And that was the thread. That was the, the, the thing that kind of got me back in. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a bit of a trim ground for writing as well, because I hadn't really been writing my own lyrics at the time. At, when we were in Savome, it was, it was Tobin writing the words. Um, I didn't do any of the, the writing, even though creative writing was always my favorite thing um, at school and whatever. It wasn't, I didn't have the confidence or something and I didn't feel I had anything much to say maybe as well. Um, but certainly, and I know one of your questions it probably pertains to one of your questions anyway, but um, I think, I think um, I suddenly had a lot to say mm-hmm. about a lot of things actually, not just about mothering or the issues of the heart, um, but just about the environment I was in. You know, as soon as you bring somebody into the world, you're very, very aware of the world that they're going into <laughs> in a really acutely different way, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You see, you see things in in different ways. You never realised things were were the, you were looking at something, but you never saw it in that way. And then all of a sudden, exactly. it's like you put on a different pair of sunglasses, and you know everything looks different and feels different. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. When you when you got back into doing your work with Cat Dog Bird, how old was Orlando at that stage? I think I think he was about one and a half when I started venturing out into that. Yeah. Um, so um, I guess um, obviously Tobin would have been would have yeah. taken the lead with caring for Orlando when you were doing this, and that um, must work. Always well. in the always in the night. So I was he was asleep. I'd go off and I'd come back, you know, after a couple of hours, and and that carried on for for many for years really. Um, and yeah, if there was any performances and things, then yes, Tobin was always the person that would hold the fort for everybody, um, particularly as more children came along, that it became um, obviously more of a thing. Yeah, so tell, yeah. Me, about, tell me about your other, the rest of your family. So I've got um, Ryder, who's now 14, and he um, he's a, a very dedicated artist himself. Um, they all are actually, all three of them. They're very much into their own things, um, mainly writing and drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, and making, but also some music as well. Um, and I've got Ivy as well, who was born in 2009, so she's 12. And um, she's, yeah, she's great. She's right into piano playing, really, and um, a lot of crafty, makey things. She's she's into that and creative writing as well. So, yeah, they're all busy little bods now. They're all busy doing their own lovely making and it brings me a lot of joy to and actually inspires me a lot um they're mm. very disciplined yeah <laughs> and, and you're not <laughs> oh, wouldn't have been at their age no way <laughs> i am now but not not then <laughs> that's good so um now you've mentioned all your children i want to bring in the the question that i always like to ask my interviewees mm. about do you feel that it's important for you, for your children, to see what you're doing yourself away from being the mum but also being Jen, the performer, the singer? Is that important for you, for your kids to recognise that and to, I guess, value that and see um, the importance of what you're doing? Yeah, I think so. I think I think it's good if, as a as a parent, that you can reveal something um about your world that that makes you passionate you know i think it's important that children see their parents in in many colors as many colors as possible um because they they're real people you know and i think um children are necessarily um self-involved they have to be that's exactly what they need to be and they are until they're 20 i guess around that around about that 20 age you know where or actually a bit, bit younger than that but around 20 is when they um, their brains are really finished um knitting together and um and they're looking outward and separately 
you know, forging their identities very much separately to the family. Um, but certainly up until about the, and I think it's um, important if they, if they know that there are other things going on, not just what we are doing as parents to support them in their worlds and making sure they're comfortable and safe and loved. Um, but if they can see that there's other things that they need to be mindful of, um, I think it's in everybody's best interest. Um, I think there would possibly have been plenty of occasions where I may have really struggled, I think, to parent the way I want to parent, to be the person I want to be for them if I didn't have other things going on. And I think it is a benefit to them to know that those things are there. Um, they can be mindful of them, they can try and understand them, it's something to talk about, it's something that's that, it's, that connects to their world and is intrinsic to their development too. Um, but I also think it's part of modelling um, modeling behaviours around the things that you're passionate about. I think it's good if they can see that those things are priorities in our lives that don't take away from their experiences but are in addition to that. Um, it shows them how to care for that part of their life, the artist that they are, because I do believe everyone has an artist within them somewhere, you know, someone who wants to express themselves in some way or another creatively, because I believe we're all creative. Everyone is. A lot of people think they're not, but I think that's just because they haven't um, understood how they can nurture that part of themselves. And it doesn't need to be as, a, as something they do for work, but but just the way that they live, the choices that they make and the way that they execute their ordinary day. So, yeah, I think it's important that the kids see that and see how that can happen. So my husband, who still paints, um, still makes films and still um, is involved in, in art in many, in many ways, musically as well still, um, that I think... Um, they have, from an early age, our kids anyway, have, have cottoned onto the idea that um, it's not only some, an option, it's, mm. you know, it's not just a boredom filler, it's, it could be something that keeps you steady for the whole of your life. It's a mental health issue, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And I think when you talk about the options, like I think the kids are so drilled into them, you've got to, you've got to go get a job, you've got to do uni, you've got to do this and that. And by showing them that you can actually your passion can actually be the thing that you do every day of your life yes. I think that's an awesome thing to show them and your children are quite involved in your art you've had I think Ivy was in a film clip was she, she yeah what's the word mimed your so one of your songs yeah she did yeah yeah, um, yeah she was about seven at the time yeah and you've also had your latest track that's just come out you've got I think have you got all the children in the music video, or just Rhonda and just oh, my middle one, yep. his and his friends, the seagull and the seagull, which is yeah. a beautiful, beautiful track. I'm going to put a link to that if you don't mind in the. Oh, thank you. Because it's I'd just stunning. It is just beautiful, and um, the film, the music video is just oh, it's beautiful, sensational. Thank you so much. You know, we we worked. We worked hard on many of those elements, but um, some of those things we weren't really sure how they were going to marry together until until you actually start to build it. So there's a number of chance elements that kind of come into making something like that. But I feel like the video does um, a lot of justice to the to the music in this case. Mm. Um, so that was Ryder involved in that, but Orlando is now set to um, somehow appear in one of the future videos. He's got ideas about what that should look like. Um, <laughs> we're negotiating at the moment. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and Ryder's just... busy, busy drawing a lot of, um, he's doing a lot of illustrations for merch that will be coming out soon. So um, he's, his right, drawing is, is one of his... Um, his favourite skills, and so he's he's busy working on some merch for us, which will be fun. Oh, that's awesome! That is so lovely to hear.
this concept that the media and social media throws around of this mum guilt, I'll put it in inverted commas, um, what's mm. your take on that? How do you feel about that whole concept? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I think... Um, I think that perhaps the minute you have a newborn baby in your arms, um, I think there's a, a certain uh, instinctive kind of guilt that weds itself to you at the same time. I feel like along with responsibility and um, needing to give yourself fully to another being, in a way that you've never had to before. Um, I think that is one of the flip sides of that. I don't know that it's easy to escape that feeling of whatever you, like I feel like, you know, it's so easy for me to tap into. It's one of those scarily close things that keeps company with me. The idea that I could um, let someone down so easily um, that my choices might impact on somebody so easily and so deeply um, without me even trying, it's because we're human. We're we're built to not not win all the time. We're often going to fail. We're going to make the wrong decisions. We're going to um, hurt people. Um, I think it's inherent in the human condition. We're imperfect, um, and so depending on what level of expectation you put on upon yourself. Um, would sort of correspond to the amount of guilt you feel around, around, um, around those things. Um, and a lot of that's perceived stuff. Some of it's not even true or real. Um, what we think we might be doing to damage our children, you know, <laughs> possibly don't, isn't even, isn't even there in the first place. We have massive capacity as humans to invent, you know, um, scenarios that we can feel guilty about. I think the Catholic Church did a really good job of harvesting the the natural tendencies that humans have and uh, providing them with a place that they can discuss this, um, <laughs> and alleviate their this guilt that they have. And as a mother, I think, you know, it's in tenfold because um, I think you're constantly faced with choices and decisions to make that are um, are going to either positively or negatively impact the balance of the family of one child or another or you know and i feel like you're constantly weighing those things up and for me guilt is is a very present thing i i struggle with that a bit uh, so now than i did when i was first a parent i feel like i don't feel like guilt is a very useful space to be in i feel like it it informs things and it I think it serves a purpose um, often to make you consider and weigh up what's going on. Perhaps if you didn't have that, you just go full throttle into whatever it was that hedonistic, you know, it, desires. It sort of, it, it holds you up for a moment just to check yourself, I suppose, just give you that little in the ear, like, oh, oh, you know, just yeah. to. Yeah, absolutely. And perhaps the, the point of that is then to listen to what that is saying and, decide whether that is um, real, uh, a real concern or whether it is um, coming from somewhere else. And when I say coming from somewhere else, I mean the voices in your ears that are other people or other sort of societal things saying, oh, you know, women have got many of them, many more than men, I would say, um, <laughs> about why we should be doing this or that or the other. We have you know, other generations of women who, you know, well-meaning as they might be, um, might say things like, oh, but, you know, wouldn't wouldn't it be better if it was the mum, you know, staying with them? Or wouldn't it be better if, you know, it's, you know, really your job to do that, not the babysitter or not the husband? Or, um, or there might be other well-meaning voices that, you know, say, oh, but you could go back to work, but really it's, you know, it's better to be at home or, um, you know, you've only got a few years and, you know, so you've got a lot of those voices, I think, and depending on what your own mother did or your own grandmothers did around mothering, there's, there's no shortage of voices that might 
speaking to what you feel you'd like to do. And so I've had um, plenty of guilt um, laid on me externally mm. for choosing to go and perform or staying up late at night doing um, a show and coming back possibly tired the next day or things like that. Um, or even just pursuing, you know, something that you're passionate about. So pursuing doggedly this vision to communicate through music, <laughs> you know, what a thing, you know, there's such a, a lot of beauty around that, but, <laughs> but strangely it can be twisted to make it seem like the most selfish of pursuits. Mm. You know, what are you doing that for? What's the point in that? And I do have um, a few voices that come to me from that direction as well. Mm. Um, and over the years have have made me you know pull up short hang on what what is that about what does that mean is it something to listen to or is it just that person's own experience of life and you know being imposed upon me my own mum um has never made me feel anything other than supported for making art she's been incredible in that way and I think if that hadn't been the case I might have drowned in it I might have like a lot of women of my age um, who suddenly drop off the face of the earth as far as music and making and other art forms can go um, if I didn't have such a supportive mum who has never um, to my memory made me feel at all like I should be doing something else, even making money or something you know, like that. Mm -hmm. She's never made me feel less for choosing those things. And she's just been happy to jump in and babysit or um, offer, you know, she's even offered to support me financially, you know, at different times when, when there's just no money coming in. Um, not that I've taken her up on those things. I think we've always sort of managed somehow, but I think that, um, I think that was a really important part of it. Mm, absolutely, because you could you could see how differently it could have been if you didn't have that support from there, like you said. You'd have just, yeah. yep, Jen Lush would have wandered off into the never-never and, yeah, that's, yep. that's so important. I want to bring in now this, this amazing book that you recommended to me um, mm. by an author called Rachel Power. And it's called The Divided Heart, Art and Motherhood. And I, it's like someone has affirmed everything that you've ever thought in your whole life about creating and being a mother. It's like the feelings and the emotions are so shared, but no one really talks about it. No one makes you feel okay about feeling the way that you do. There's a quote that I just want to read from her that really stuck with me. It's, it's She's written that writing became her single act of independence. And when I read that, I just went, Oh, you're not kidding like it's like your whole life and your whole world exists for this one being and yeah you you grapple with the things that you still had left from your, your previous life it seemed uh, perfect for you for for what you're interested in pursuing and, and and talking about with people it seemed like a perfect document absolutely and i'm saying and i'll put a link to that book in the description too for anyone else who's interested I agree that it's an, it's an extremely affirming thing to read as, as, a, as a person who's doing art. I think it's important to note that making a choice to be an artist anyway is, is a really difficult decision to make in a way, but it's one that doesn't feel like a choice as well. Like I, I don't actually feel compelled to do many other things. Um, I've always been compelled to do, to make, and I will, I'll continue to do that even when, you know, I'm not putting anything out publicly if that ever you know it comes up um i'll still be compelled to make i'm sure of it it's just totally there um has always been there and um so it's but to make a choice to to be an artist whatever gender you identify as i think it's a difficult decision it's a road that is not well traveled it's um often fraught with um issues um don't really get a lot of financial reward necessarily for it. So you sometimes have to balance other work and other things with it, trying to make it work. Um, as a woman, I think it's it's another whole layer of, of complexity. And I love that these women who are speaking in this book um, are acknowledging that difficulty, you know, the fact that they're compelled to do this, this is the vocation they've chosen, this is the, this is 
what they're doing, whether they're making money from it or not. Um, um, but also trying to do all of the other things that, that they're trying to do as well, um, which don't necessarily enter into um, the complexity around being a male artist, um, is a really interesting thing to read about. And as a woman who's also going through similar things, I found it an incredibly affirming document. And like you said, spoke to things that might be considered negative emotions or whatever um, as well as positive things um, in a way that was so real and you can just identify with it. There's a wonderful poem by Kate Kennedy and she she's in the book as well. She's one of my favourite writers and she, um, she wrote a poem which I now can't think of the name of right now. I'll have a little Google and I'll let you know in a minute. Um, it's in her book, The Taste of River Water, and she writes a lot of that poetry collection is around motherhood and being a, a writer. And I, oh, I know it's called, it's called The Zen Master, I've just suddenly remembered, and I read that poem that she thing and, and also her writing about what it is to try and write while you've got a toddler underneath trying to drag you to come outside and play and do these things. And you're like, no, I just need to finish this. I've got to get this finished. Um, and I just... Yeah, it just had a real emotional impact upon me reading that. Mm. So, Jen, do you find that your children pop up in your work, at uh, current work, or that you're really influenced by them at the moment? The, the kids um, the kids actually end up featuring in quite a lot of the songs and on this new album um, I reckon they're probably in two or three of the songs, actually. Yeah, About right. Three. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because that's a big part of of my life and they are a massive part of it. And, um, you know, not necessarily talking directly about them but about, you know, the impact that they have on on me or on a situation or a scene. Um, there's one about glass where, you know, I feel like I, I want to – it's called glass and I feel like I – often look at them at every stage that they've been at and want to kind of shrink wrap them as they are. They're, you know, hilarious or that little jumper that you never ever want them to grow out of or, you know, or the funny thing they say or the little list they speak with or, you know, just the interactions that they have or that kind of thing. But each stage is is unique and, and special and funny and beautiful in its own regard and also hard and challenging too. But, um, you know, and so uh, this song is about, impermanence it's about that shifting that constant shifting that I notice daily as a mother and there's nothing more evident than the shifting of time as when you're looking at your children because they're the ones that are constantly changing you know I think I've got lots of friends who don't have children and I think for me they almost remain ageless because I don't notice time passing when I'm with them but when I'm, you know, around my, my friends with children, we're like, holy crap, look at these kids. They used to be this small and now they're giant, you know, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a real thing, you know, and, I, and I, do, I do love the different stages, but I do, I'm a very aware of the impermanence of, the, of that shift of things that are, that are not going to remain. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of references in this new work that come come from them actually directly so I did want to say that because I when we talk about the impact of motherhood on art um, probably what I wasn't expecting was was how much of um, uh, an inspiration or, or you know around content the things that I feel like I want to write about is quite frequently inspired by by them too so far from being a pull on 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 my creative processes they actually end up being integral to it in many ways. Remember when you came down and you played at the Wool Shed down Glencoe a couple of years ago? Yeah. And you played a song called Wolf? Um, yeah. And that song, uh, it, it's like it set off this little, it planted a seed in my mind 
um, the song it's it's about postnatal depression, and mm-hmm. part of the seed in my mind, which has now turned into I'm making an album. Um, I'm I'm halfway probably halfway through it now, and it's called Wolf, and it's about my postnatal depression. So oh my thank you very much. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. I never told you that. Um, no, oh that's that's really incredible and very. Um, moving to hear and very exciting to hear as well I'd been wanting to write about it for so long but I didn't quite know how it would sound and then when I heard that song and I thought Mm. I can I can share these songs in a way that are listenable I suppose (laughs) it's my pleasure that's what that's what um the power of of sharing your work is about I think you know because quite often you could I could happily sit in my bedroom and just write and write and write and make and make and make and there's a part of me that doesn't feel necessarily compelled to share share it um because i'm already doing the thing that i'm happy with but there is there is a part of me that that says well you know this is this is also for sharing this is also for um communicating with others something there's a desire within, within us all i think is to be understood and to communicate and art is a brilliant conduit for communication Mm. Um, and even though I studied dance and, and theatre and carried on doing that for quite a long time, I found that music was the most direct form of communication that I ended up wanting to settle into, even though it wasn't really my training area um, at all. Um, and I think with with making songs like Wolf, um, there is a desire to capture something about the real stories, the real stories that are happening, um, you know, in motherhood, and it's not always, not always the easy, easy ones to write. I, I remember thinking that that one, I wanted to try and understand it for, you know, somebody close to me who was going through that, and um, and trying to find ways of doing it. And then I remember thinking that a lighter musical treatment over quite heavy words was probably going to be the best conduit for this particular song and i've actually used that a lot in my music this idea a lighter musical treatment something that that doesn't necessarily mirror the seriousness of the of the lyric um can sometimes be that juxtaposition that's needed other times no but but certainly with some songs i think that's that can be a nice trick to get people to to not be too bogged down in it and yet still hear, you know, because you want to be heard. That's the thing that's most important, I think. Mm. Absolutely. I love how you articulate that. I guess I can ask you, is there anything else that you'd like to share around this topic that you feel like we might not have covered that's important to you? I think this is a really important subject. It doesn't ever become less important because we need to be talking about how it is to be women in art and the layer extra layer of mothering in art and making time carving out space for that very very special and important part of your life as an artist as a woman is is vital and my when i'm thinking of a tune and i'm working on a piece of song and i use that voice memo in my phone it is probably 60% of it now, back when they were smaller, it would have been 99% of it is full of them bursting into the space with a question or something that was needed, the whir of the washing machine in the background. And I'd be sending bits of samples of songs that I was writing to the rest of the band and they'd be, you know, littered with interruptions and, and funny little squeaking voices coming out. I can remember wanting to spend maybe 20 minutes and I got very good at um, being efficient with my time. That's one thing I will say is that as a mother, I think, you know, this idea that you need to be inspired and wait for the muse to come and sit on your shoulder or you need to sit in some beautiful picturesque, you know, space in a studio in the middle of a field until, you know, and that's the conditions that you can write under. Oh no, I think I would never have made a single thing, you know. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just laughing so much because I can just totally relate to what you're saying, Jen. I would say I'm going just for 20 minutes into my room. I had a sliding door, so it wasn't even a door I could shut or lock. It was a sliding door. And I said, I'm just going to go in. This was when I made the Night's Insomnia. I said, I'm just going to 
go in there, I need to work on something 20 minutes, I've got something in my head I need to resolve and I just need to record it and then I'll be able to remember it and then I'll be able to get back to whatever it was I was doing with you. So I'm just going to go for 20 minutes. And <laughs> I know. That he was just coming. <laughs> the timing is perfect, seriously. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. No, no. The little door, the hands they'd worked out could slide that door open, and then in they trot. And I'd be in the middle of recording, and be like, "Mom, Mom, you know, I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering." And away they'd go, and it would be like, "Okay, sure." And I'd be answering questions while still singing. It was just, it was remarkable. I'd, I still have some of those on my phone. Oh. Um, and another thing that happened was when I was recording the Cat Dog Bird album back in 2000 and well, forever really, but it was released around 2014 or 15. Um, Ivy was a baby when we were recording some of the tracks. I remember her being six months old and sitting in a bouncer thing and I was in the studio recording and I remember her crying and then I needed to breastfeed and, you know, and it was, and I remember most of the men in that room that were there you know, working on the recording with me, um, were slightly peeved, I, I think, at the time. The noise, the, the disruption, the needing to stop and start. And it was only some years later when one of those men um, that I was working with had his own children. And he came back to me and he said, I keep thinking about when you had baby Ivy in the studio and you were trying to record and no one was really all that patient with you. And that would have been a really hard thing to do and now I've got my own girls, I kind of think that was a pretty extraordinary thing that you were carving out that time for, for that to happen. And that album wouldn't have been able to happen if I hadn't said, no, this is a priority. I know that this is not ideal for her. She'd probably rather be at home. Um, and it's probably not ideal for me. I'd probably rather not be needing to breastfeed or you know, console her or you know, get her to sleep while I do the next take or whatever. But we must make. Yep. We must <laughs> we must keep going, you know? And I think um I hope that I hope that the kids as they get older understand that making time for that to happen, um, whether it be the boys seeing that that's a woman making time for that to happen, or whether it's Ivy understanding that she must make time for that to happen in whatever way um that that's hopefully one of the gifts that that we as as mothers can actually give our kids now when i'm recording they'll tiptoe around they'll, they'll say are you recording as they're coming up the stairs and i'll go yes and i'll go okay and they're really quiet and they've worked it out now and and they're incredibly um generous mm. with that yeah, yeah. Before I let you go, can you tell us what you've got coming up? Um, so coming up, I've got a new album coming out. It's um, due out on August the 20th. We're going to be performing at the Goodwood Institute, um, which is in Goodwood, on Goodwood Road, um, at 7pm, and the tickets you can get on um, Try Booking. Um, and just before that, on the 24th of July, we have a, a, a collaboration kind of session at the Mill as part of the Umbrella Music Festival, and it's um, going to be a three-way conversation really where I'm going to try and tie together all the different collaborations I do whether it be the songwriting I do with children um, at kindergarten I'm going to share some of those and then have a bit of a co-write with the people in the room um, I'm going to um, talk about the collaboration I do with poets um, I do a lot of work with poets um, around Australia and so I'm going to talk a little bit about that process and then finally we'll be sharing some of the songs that we'll be featuring on this new album um, so that's the tickets are through Eventbrite for that one and that's at the mill on the 24th of July so there's a couple of shows coming um, and of course there's um, new singles coming out in the lead up to all of this um, that's kind of on YouTube or Spotify or all of the platforms really Two parts underwater And one part staying dry Above the tide Need more
Thank you for being on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honour to talk to you. Thank you. It's just been so lovely to chat. I feel like time's just disappeared and it's been really lovely to be, yeah, reflecting on some of these things. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch with us via the link in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic mum.